If our lives are characterized first by prayerlessness, then I think it ought to be a warning sign about the condition of our hearts. And it ought to call us back to the Lord or to work on our hearts, right? To engross ourselves more in in the scriptures or to be with friends who can hold us accountable and speak into our lives, to do something to get the closeness of our relationship with the Lord back. And when we do, when we're walking closely with the Lord again, those prayers should just, again, flow from us, from a right relationship, a strong relationship with the Lord. The stronger that relationship, the more prayer should flow out of us. Hello, and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. If you've been enjoying the podcast, would you take a minute and log on to your favorite podcast platform, rate us, and leave us a review. We would love to feature you on our next episode. Prayer. It is a vital element of a healthy relationship with Christ. But it can be both intimidating and confusing for many believers. Do you know how to pray? When to pray? Why we pray? Is prayer a laundry list of requests or a journey into the heart of God? On this episode of Candid, I have the great pleasure of welcoming Dr. Guy Richard to the podcast. Dr. Richard is President and Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. Prior to his arrival in Atlanta, Dr. Richard served as the senior minister of the First Presbyterian Church in Gulfport, Mississippi for almost 12 years. He had the privilege of leading this congregation in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, which completely destroyed the church facility and the homes of approximately one-third of his congregation. Dr. Richard is not only a professor and pastor, but also author of a new gospel-centered book focused on prayer. It is entitled, Persistent Prayer. In today's conversation, Dr. Richard helps us better understand what prayer really is, its importance in the Christian faith, the challenges we face in it, how we communicate with God through it, and the immense blessings that can come from a persistent prayer life. We hope this episode challenges and encourages you in your faith to be bold in prayer, communicating intimately with our Creator and Heavenly Father. Now, on to our candid conversation. Well, today I have the great privilege of having a friend of mine, Dr. Guy Richard. Dr. Richard is the Executive Director and Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. And Dr. Richard, we just missed each other. I graduated in 2015, and I think you came in 17? 2017, that's right. 17. So just a few years off, but I'm grateful that we've been able to connect and establish good relationship, and um, I'm glad that you're at RTS, and I want to say thank you for coming on to Candid Conversations. Well, thank you, Jonathan. It's a great delight to be with you. I look forward to our time together. Absolutely. You've written a book called Persistent Prayer, and I will say, when we saw that your book had come out, my team immediately said, ooh, 
we need to do this. <laughs> we got to cover this because you understand it better than anyone. But the questions about prayer and the misunderstanding and the misappropriation of prayer is so rampant. And often prayers looked at outside of the context of scripture. And what I love about your book is that it is steeped in scriptural references and helping people ground themselves in the understanding of what prayer is, how it is that we communicate with God, the blessings that come from it, um, the understandings that come from it, the challenges. I mean, there's so much, but I mean, it is part of a, a faith walk, a faith journey, when often I think we compartmentalize, I think, prayer with our Christian walk is often the case. Now, before we get to the book, I want you to introduce yourself to us, to our audience, um, so people have a chance to know, you know, how did the Lord draw you to himself? How did you end up where you are? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, I grew up in South Louisiana, uh, here in the United States, and I uh, was recruited to go swim uh, for Auburn University, actually, and War Eagle. did that. Uh, War Eagle, absolutely. Although there hasn't been a whole lot to War Eagle about this year on the football field, <laughs> at least. Uh, Our international uh, audience will have no idea what we're talking that's, about. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. American football and mm-hmm. uh, our That's obsession right. with it. But um, I was a, recruited by Auburn to go and swim there, and I did that. And uh, it was during my time there that uh, I was invited by a young lady that I was seeing at the time who ended up being my wife, and we've been married now for many, many years. Uh, but she invited me to go to RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, which was a campus ministry on Auburn's campus. And it was through that ministry that I came to faith in Christ, the campus minister was uh, someone that I was able to look up to. At the time, I considered myself to be a a fairly intellectual, learned young man, an athlete, and I prided myself on all of those things. And and in many respects, I was my own God. Mm. Uh, I was good at everything. And if you asked me, I would have told you uh, that I was good (laughs) at everything. And uh, I met this campus pastor who had played baseball for Yale. And so here was a young man who was athletic and intellectual as well, obviously studying at Yale, and yet he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time that we would get together, he would talk about Christ with this joy that just came out of his pores. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I found what he had attractive because I didn't have it. Uh, I was searching and searching for joy, searching for happiness, if you will, in all of the wrong places. It's um, uh, Blaise Pascal and... C.S. Lewis make much uh, of the God-shaped void that mm. is in us. And, and to some degree, I think that's exactly where I was. I had that God-shaped mm. void, and I was trying to fill it with everything this world had to offer, and none of it was satisfying. And, and here came my campus pastor who had something that I didn't have. And, and so over the course of about my junior year at, in college at Auburn, I, I came to faith in Christ. And there was an immediate love for the Word of God and uh, having grown up in the Episcopal Church, not hearing much of the Bible preached, um, other than kind of maybe the major stories of, of the New Testament, for instance. Uh, right. I had this insatiable desire to pour myself into the Word, and that, uh, praise the Lord, has uh, continued to this day. And and uh, over the years, I ended up marrying my girlfriend then at the time, but obviously wife now. We end up getting married right after she graduated from Auburn. And then uh, I was in business for a number of years. And after four or five years running my dad's business, I felt the Lord call me to ministry. And so started at Reformed Theological Seminary myself and, 
and then went on and did a PhD from that point in, uh, in Scotland, Edinburgh, Scotland, at the University of Edinburgh, and then came back to Mississippi, as you indicated before, and pastored First Presbyterian Church there in Mississippi. Yeah, and that was a big moment in your life. You're coming from Edinburgh, doing your PhD. You have the invitation, right, to take over this church in Gulfport, Mississippi. And this is 2005. 2005, that's right. The church would have called me in May of 2005. And if uh, if you were living anywhere in the Southeast, you'll probably remember it was August of 2005 when Hurricane Katrina came through. Yeah, or if you were just on Earth and saw a news broadcast. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so Hurricane Katrina devastates all the Gulf area. Primarily New Orleans was the focus, but certainly Mississippi was face devastation. Yeah, the eye of the storm was actually uh, in a little place called Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, which was uh, kind of halfway in between New Orleans and Gulfport, Mississippi, where I was called. Wasn't there at the time. We had just transitioned back from Scotland in July of 2005 and looking to start at the church uh, very soon thereafter. And the hurricane destroyed the church. We had about $4 million of damage to the church facility itself approximately 58 families in the church that lost everything. And that was the beginning of, uh, yeah, of a 12-year ministry that included a whole lot of rebuilding and helping community and a church to come back. Yeah. Well, and in the midst of that devastation and reading through your book, I mean, that was, you began to feel and understand and appreciate the common grace that God has given us in prayer, Right. Well, you know, when you go through something like that, uh, something that is just unbelievably devastating, and by the way, just to make the picture clearer and the issue a little worse, maybe, the church, uh, not only would we experience $4 million in damage, the insurance policy we were carrying only uh, paid us about a million three for all of that damage. And so you can begin to see just the, the scope of the destruction was overwhelming. And for a, a relatively new seminary graduate who is not yet ordained, yeah. uh, pursuing ordination in gospel ministry. There, there was no class in the seminary on, on yeah. how to handle you yeah. know, this kind of destruction. Yeah. You know, what do you do? How do you lead a congregation in yeah. the wake of this kind of just overwhelming destruction? And, and I think probably more than anything else motivated me just to go to the elders and say, guys, we're in over our heads. Yeah. We need to fast and we need mm. to pray And we need to call the congregation to join us in fasting and praying. And so we did. And we prayed together and we fasted one day a week for probably three or four months right after the hurricane. And the whole congregation joined us in that. And we made no decisions. We just kind of asked the Lord for wisdom and poured out our hearts. And and I think the genesis of the book that you're referring to came from those early days and months after the hurricane where we're immersing ourselves in fasting and, and prayer. And and of course, the, the elders had questions about all of that. And so they're asking me all along to help them understand why do we fast? What is mm-hmm. fasting? And, and, yeah. and what's the role? And what's the link between fasting and prayer? And and yeah. what is prayer? And how should we be praying? And, and what should we be praying for? So a lot of these questions that the elders in the congregation are asking And I'm asking, too, the elders are asking me as their pastor to begin providing some help and some guidance. And so a lot of the the seedbed for what became this book 
was germinated in those early years. Yeah. Well, and this is where your theology really hits the rubber hits the road, right? I mean, you can study this from an intellectual perspective. You can read the Word of God and understand principles. But then when you're in the fire, the question is, what are you going to do? Or, you know, for you, it's like all the study and the groundwork had been laid. Sure, you probably didn't feel equipped for how to deal with uh, the financial situation or all that sort of thing. But what, what you did know how to do was you knew how to take people and lead them well. And so I guess just in thinking about this issue of prayer, and I love that you've called it persistent prayer, the book itself isn't doesn't focus on the persistence. It's an aspect, right? Right. But I guess for me, what are some of the ideas of prayer that you've come across from people, whether they're in your church or, I mean, even your own experience uh, before you came to faith or before you were trained theologically? What are the common ideas that that people tend to have? Yeah, I think uh, I would answer that question first by saying what I've come to realize in my own experience and I'm no different than anyone else. And, and I know that if I'm struggling in these areas, every Christian mm-hmm. <laughs> is struggling yeah. in these areas. I think the first thing I would say in regard to prayer is, is prayer is one of the most difficult topics to talk about, yeah. to teach on, right. because we all find it so convicting. We know as Christians yeah. that we are not praying as often as we ought to. We, we know when we pray, we stumble over our words. And sometimes if we're praying in bed or before we go to sleep, we actually fall asleep in the middle of our prayers. Our mind wanders as we pray. And we know all of these things and and we know them painfully so, acutely Mm -hmm. so. And I think because we know all of those things, that we struggle in all of those ways, it makes us convicted Mm -hmm. even to think about prayer. And and, and I think to some degree, it keeps us, it holds us back from engaging in prayer if you will, with, with reckless abandon, in a sense, you know, just giving ourselves yeah. to it. Isn't that funny, though? It's it's uh, almost cyclical. I don't understand it, or I feel like I'm not doing it well, so then it keeps me from it even more. And so that right. process sort of snowballs and becomes more problematic, right? That's right. And I don't want to look for Satan everywhere and Satan's hand everywhere, but <laughs> right. I think, you know, no doubt, yes. if Satan had to look at this and say, hey, what can I do? to oh, keep yeah. God's people from praying, that certainly is an effective ploy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To keep us convicted about our prayer life and feeling guilty about our prayer life. And so one of the reasons I wrote the book was simply just trying to encourage Christians not to add conviction upon conviction that we already feel that's there anyway, but to try to encourage Christians. And so the first thing that I try to start out with when I talk about prayer is to remind people that prayerlessness and all of our failures in regard to prayer, none of them are the unforgivable sin. Right. None of them is beyond the pale of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and and praise God from whom all blessings flow there. Because mm-hmm. I think that's helpful. So when we take up the, even the conversation of prayer, we need to remember that we're doing this. We're having this conversation. We're thinking through prayer within the bounds of all that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. Uh, to forgive us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. As you're sort of talking through that, I, you know, I'm seeing there's this tension that exists, right? And I, I think of um, the example you gave in your book, you correspond prayer with breathing, right? And so when someone is sick, they're not breathing as well, or it's shorter, or it's, you know, it's whatever, but it's the 
the need to continue to come back to it. And I think just in balancing out that with what we were talking about earlier, which is sometimes we stay removed from it, or we think that there's these criteria that we have to meet. In some ways, it it needs to be simplified, but at the same time, it doesn't need to be incorrect or irreverent mm. or, you know, there's some balance in between those things, you know, walking that tension out. Yeah, for sure. I think on the one hand, we want prayer to be intimate communion with the Lord. And I think that's what prayer is, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not just talking to God, although talking to God is part of it. Right. Uh, it's certainly not less than talking to God, but prayer is a whole lot more than that. It's intimacy. Yeah. And as I say in my book, it's a pouring out of our heart. Yes. yes uh, so yes. it's a heart-engaged endeavor. And sometimes when we talk in that light, that it's intimacy or that it's communion with God, that it's, you know, it's pouring out our heart, it's easy to go from there into an overly familiar, overly informal, mm-hmm. casual uh, approach to God. And and I think that's unhelpful yeah. too. Yeah. We need to remember that, yes, it involves our heart. And yes, there's a pouring out of our heart. There's an, an intimacy here that we're walking into the very presence of the King of the universe. And I think that when we remind ourselves of that, yeah. there is a sense of formality. There is a sense of at least awesomeness, yeah. right? Yeah. Awe. Yeah. And because we're walking into the throne room of the king of the universe, but we're doing so at his bidding because he's not just king, he's father. Mm. He's our dad, if you will. We have access now because of the work of Christ. We have access to walk into the presence of the king of the universe. We don't need an appointment. You know, we don't need to wait till there's an opening in his schedule. We can walk boldly. And I think when we take all of those ideas together in our minds to prayer, and when we remind ourselves, I argue in the book too, that one of our problems with prayer is that we don't prepare right. to pray. Yes. We just start praying. <laughs> That's right. And I think when we do, we pray coldly mm. or more coldly than we would. It's harder to pray with your heart engaged when you just jump right into what you're doing without thought. And I think even if it's only 30 seconds before you pray, you know, or, or 10 seconds before you, you start speaking mm. to begin to think, okay, what am I doing? Who am I doing it with? And why am I doing this? Yeah. And for me, the most helpful reminder is that why to be able to say, because Jesus died, yeah. because he died for me, he opened the way that I, me, Guy Richard, little old me, can walk into the presence of the king of the universe at the drop of a hat and know I have his ear. And that's an awesome privilege. And I think when I can remember that, even in 10 seconds before I pray, it gives my prayers a whole new dimension. And that's part of where I think that pouring out of the heart can come from. We remember what we're doing and why we're doing it and who has made it possible and through what means yeah. he has made it possible. It really puts prayer in a different light altogether. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, just that moment of preparation and considering the nature of the holy, holy, holy God and the nature of man who's coming before him, but also in the his desire for the relationality, right? He, he hasn't barred the way to him. 
That's right. uh, the, the, the avenue has been made open through Christ. But at the same time, there's the recognition of what's happening. I think of some of the congregational prayers that I've heard in churches, you know, not to create a law out of something, but there's this moment where the prayer will take a moment of just being silent. I don't know what's happening. Maybe they're just lining the words up in their head, perhaps. But to me, it, it reflects this person is taking what they're about to do seriously. And they're, there's this almost uh, recognition coming in to their mind and setting their mind for what they're about to say. And often those prayers usher us right into uh, the throne room. Um, you've mentioned, in, and it is in your book, and I love this, you know, this concept of pouring out your heart. You sort of uh, help frame that really well in the book, because I think sometimes we consider prayer and we think it's, uh, let's come pouring out the laundry list of needs <laughs> that we have, right? And I think we're all guilty of that. The supplication prayers are, are immediately just coming out of our mouth because it's what's on our minds. It's what we feel. It's it's often tangible and, you know, Lord, we need this. We desire this. I need. But you, in your book, you talk about the pouring out is much bigger and broader than that. Yeah. If you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us very plainly that our daily needs, even things like daily bread, yes. which, by the way, tells us that when Jesus is telling us to ask for daily bread, he's telling us several things. Number one, he's telling us we ought to be praying every day. Yeah. It's daily bread we're praying for. So we're praying for today's needs today and tomorrow's needs tomorrow and, and on and on. So I think that's one very important thing. It's not just a we pray once and at the beginning of the Christian life or something and we're done. Right. You know, we've, we've checked that box and, and we've done what we need. No, it's a continual dependence upon the Lord for daily needs. And I think the other thing that Jesus is telling us, which is so important, is that praying for our needs like food, bread, like, you know, we're sick, we're struggling, we lost a loved one, whatever, just daily personal needs that we have just by living in this world are appropriate. And not only appropriate, Jesus says, that's what we do when we pray, we bring those things before the Lord. But I think that's not all we do, right? It's not mm. just those kinds of things. But he also tells us where to pray for things like thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're praying for the movement of God's kingdom. We're praying for kingdom issues. We're praying for the church to be built up. We're praying for the, the preaching of the gospel to go forth, for people to respond to the preaching of the gospel, for non-Christians to become Christians and Christians to grow in their faith. And, and we're praying for the spread of the gospel worldwide, that missions around the world would take root and that those who are enemies of God, that those enemies would be brought to faith in Christ. And, yeah. and so we're praying all of those kinds of things. And, and obviously we're praying prayers of adoration too, even as Jesus said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's appropriate in all of these ways for us to pray for in all of these things. And I think in terms of our prayers, so often our prayers focus only on supplication, mm -hmm. daily bread. Mm -hmm. They don't focus on kingdom issues and they don't focus as much on adoration, praise for God. And those things are just as important as supplication. Well, here's something that I, you know, I mean, if you're reading a lot of what Paul says and prayers often marked with Thanksgiving, present your request to God, you know, because almost with the giving of thanks, there's the reminder of what God has done, hmm. right? He's the one who led Israel 
out of Egypt. Uh, he's the, and then if you take that and put that to yourself, you know, what God has done for me. I mean, even if all you could say was you have supplied Christ, the Redeemer, yeah. you promised it would happen. You promised the seed of the woman would come and it's come and you are a trustworthy God. But I know for a fact that people could pray knowing and seeing the evidence within their own life. And in a giving of thanks for that and those things that, that he has done, that reflects back his character, you know, that he's true to himself and he's working these things out. You have a chapter in here called Prayer Works. And I find it fascinating, right? Because in thinking about prayer working, but you'll find people who will say, no, I, I, prayer has not worked for me. As if it right. was uh, a box for you to check you know, it's back to the way you were before you were a Christian. <laughs> you, right. you were your own God at that point, right? So, That's right. So we need a wider landscape for understanding what prayer works really means. Yeah, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to pick up on what I say are astonishing statements that the Bible makes in regard to prayer. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking of James uh, in yes. chapter 4, 2, and 3 or so, where James says, you have not because you ask not. Yes. And, yes. and that's I a staggering, section, by the way. Yeah. staggering statement that James would say, you have not, you know, I, the reason you don't have is because you have not asked. Yeah. And so directly equating the lack that the Christians that he's writing to are experiencing to their lack of prayer. And although we all know that there are qualifications to that. And we can't yes. say, well, hey, you know, just the reason I don't have a million dollars is because I haven't asked the Lord for a million right. dollars. Yes. Uh, and all I need to do is ask, you know. And I love this. I love that you, in that particular chapter, you're you're walking out really the verses that a lot of people can kind of prattle off, even uh, people who are not deep into the faith. But the part that they always forget are the qualifications that come with it. And I think that was a really helpful section for me to just remember uh, these things. So, you know, you, you cite the James passage when Jesus makes the uh, the promise to the disciples, uh, whatever you ask in my name, it will be given right. to you, right? That's so, right? But there's a qualification for that. And I That's think right. people, we tend to have those Bible verses memorized that promise us all these things, but we rarely link them to the qualification that is there in Scripture. Yeah, I think there are two problems that we usually experience. On the one hand is the problem you're mentioning, and that yeah. is that we we take those passages and we forget the qualifications that the Scriptures also mention. You know, for instance, James 4, you have not because you ask not. He follows that on with a very important qualification. And when you ask, you ask selfishly, right? Yes. Wrongly to spend yeah. on your own passions. Yeah. And so I think... That's obviously a very important qualification we need to keep in mind is that the passage doesn't say, well, if you're lacking a million dollars, you just ask for a million dollars. No, it depends on your motive. Yeah. Maybe entirely appropriate to ask God for a million dollars. But the motive is the key thing there. Right. If we're asking selfishly, as James right, says, right. then we have no business thinking that he's right. going to Versus answer for that. kingdom work or something. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But, you know, on the, that's one hand, on the one hand, we take those passages at face value and we overlook some of the qualifications that are in Scripture. But on the other hand, there are many Christians who I think focus on the qualifications. Right. And they miss the reality that God answers prayer. Yes. And so we overqualify because we want to be careful, because maybe we're theological precisionists. 
And so we want to make sure we're being faithful to what the Bible says. And we look at the qualifications and we get hung up in the weeds, if you will, of the qualifications. Mm. So that to the degree that we miss the glory of the promise, you have not because you ask not. Mm. Or like in Luke 11, when Jesus says to his disciples, ask and you might receive. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No, obviously right. Right. he says, ask and you will yep. Yep. receive. But that's an astounding statement. Yeah. Jesus is saying, ask. And you will receive. Now, obviously, that's not, as we said, we need to keep the balance between those two extremes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Scylla and the Charybdis, we take the via, the middle way, the via Medea. Uh, between those, we walk that balance and, and take seriously the promise that we ask and we will receive. We seek and we will find. We knock and the door will be open to us. But we take that in light of the overall teaching of Scripture too which does tell us we can't ask for just anything for selfish purposes or what have you, uh, that what we ask for, the way we ask for it, and all of those kinds of things are important as well. Some of the other issues that I think we tend to come around to is the changeability of God, right? So is my prayer going to actually change what God has uh, sovereignly set in place, right? I'm sure that's a question that you get frequently. Absolutely. You know, I think um, that's a question that has been asked for many, 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 many generations of uh, throughout the church, many millennia, <laughs> no doubt, even at least a couple uh, of millennia. Um, what is the relationship between prayer and God's will? And I think for those of us who take seriously Uh, The Bible's teaching on the sovereignty of God, that that God is God and we are not. You know, God is God and that means he is sovereign. What he says goes and we are not sovereign. And so if you take that truth seriously, then I think we have to say that prayer doesn't change God's mind, but it does change things. And the Bible's teaching there, I think, is very clear that God uses prayer to bring his perfect purposes to pass. Uh, God, if you will, um, one of the means that he uses is our prayers. And so in a real sense, you and I can be co-workers with the God of the universe yeah. in and through our prayers. So when yeah. we pray, and that's an astounding truth in and of itself, that our feeble stumblings and our ramblings in prayer to the point where we sometimes fall asleep and our mind goes astray. I mean, those prayers, even that kind of praying, God is using to accomplish his perfect purposes in the world. Mm. You talk about, and I think it's towards the beginning, it's often need-driven, right? So when we're in desperate need is when people turn to it. It should never be the last resort of the Christian person, (laughs) right? This should be our... often our first thing that we turn to and say, we need to commit this to prayer. But as is often the case, it tends to be the last thing that people think of. Oh, have we tried this? Yeah. And and I think part of what we need to reorient our thinking along these lines, part of what we need to do is we need to remind ourselves that prayer is not just preparation for the work, or it's not just part of what God will use to get things ready. And then we go out and we actually have to do the work, you know, but prayer is the real work. Right. You know, that God does use our prayers and he is answering our prayers. And when we look at what Jesus says, I think in that light, right, ask and you will receive. 
seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Or what James says, you have not because you ask not. Mm. James doesn't say you have not because you haven't gone out to get it, right? You haven't done anything about that. You haven't gone out there and and seized the bull by the horns and taken charge of your life, right? Right. Uh, Your best life now. (laughs) He says you have not because you ask not. And I think that is a an encouragement on the one hand in that really prayer is the most fundamental. It's not peripheral to the work right. as we're saying. It is the work. It's the work of the Christian life. The other thing I'm thinking of is is along sort of what we would call the extreme lines, right? So you have the example of Joni Erickson Tata, who's got this expectation of what the prayer, the answered prayer will look like. But she finally comes to the the realization that the prayer has actually been answered, just not in the way that she had hoped. You've seen that throughout ministry for sure, I have no doubt. Yeah, and that's part of what I'm arguing in my book. I'm arguing that there really is no such thing as unanswered prayer. Right. That God is answering all of our prayers. And the main place where I get that is from Luke chapter 11. When Jesus gives that astounding section where he talks about what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And it's an astounding statement there. I love what Jesus doesn't say here. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, will always give him a fish? Yeah. He doesn't say that. Right. You know, why? Because every father or mother knows if our child asks for something, we may or may not give it to him. Right. May or may not be in their best interest. Right. My daughter, who is 11, loves to ask for chocolate or for dessert. And she will ask for dessert before we even have a meal. Mm. And so there's a time and a place for dessert. It's not a substitute for a meal. Right. And so when she asks for dessert, I may or may not give her that dessert or say she can have that dessert. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Every good parent knows that if our child asks for something, we may or may not give it to them. But what he says is, we may not give them a fish. If they ask for a fish, if they ask for chocolate, we may not give them chocolate, but we're not going to give them a serpent. We're not going to give them a serpent if they ask for fish. We're not going to give them a scorpion if they ask for an egg. We're not going to give them something that will harm them. My daughter asks for chocolate and I give her poison. No, of course I'm not going to do that. That's going to harm her. And I think that's a beautiful thing that Jesus is saying here. When we ask for something in prayer, God may give that to us. But then again, he may not give that to us. But if he doesn't give that to us, he's not going to give us something that will harm us or that will hurt us like poison or like something else or even a serpent or a scorpion. And then he connects that idea to verse 13. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? And that's what's fascinating. You know, the parallel of that passage would say, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to yeah. his children, right. right? That seems to be the parallel, one to one, but that's right. not yeah. what Jesus says. No. 
he says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? And so what I argue in my book is if you look at that passage in combination with Matthew's use of that passage, Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew does use good gifts. So Matthew's version says something like this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So Matthew does what we expect Luke to do. Right. Luke doesn't. Why? That's a very important question to think through. Mm. And I think what we have to say is, number one, however we interpret Holy Spirit here in Luke 11, it has to be in keeping with good gifts from Matthew. And however we understand Matthew's use of good gifts, it has to be in keeping with Luke's Holy Spirit. And so what I argue is what this is telling us is that when we ask for a fish, God may not give us a fish, but he won't give us harmful things, number one. And number two, he will always give us the Holy Spirit and the good gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So what I argue is what this is telling us, what Jesus is saying, is that when we ask it for something in prayer, God will always answer that prayer spiritually. Mm. So if we ask for physical healing, yeah. he may give us physical healing, but then again, he may not, but he will always give us spiritual healing. And that's where I tell the story with Johnny. Which is the better thing. Yes, indeed. Well, it, it is from an ultimate perspective, from right. a long-term perspective. But so I tell the story, I think it's in the book. I can't remember if it, this story is in the book or not, but uh, I once preached on prayer and had a a man come and see me afterwards, and he he shared a story, heartbreaking story about how his wife had passed on a few years previously, and and how while she was sick, he poured out his heart. Yes, I mean, emotional, book, yeah. pouring out of his heart, begging the Lord to mm -hmm. spare her life, and the Lord didn't. And uh, he said, you know, basically, what do you do with that? And I said, well, number one, I'm not God; I can't answer what's right. going on there. Yeah. But what I can tell you based on Luke 11 is that your prayers did not go unanswered. God answered those prayers. Yeah. He didn't answer them in the exact way you prayed for them. You asked for a fish. He didn't give you a fish. And I said, this Luke 11 tells us God answered that prayer, but he answered your prayer for spiritual healing mm -hmm. for your wife. He answered it spiritually. So maybe the answer to that prayer is in the fact that you are going to grow as a result of that spiritually. Maybe your children will grow as a result of that spiritually. Maybe people who never knew Christ, nurses and doctors, came to faith by watching your wife handle all of that illness and, and mm. in the hospital and all the rest. We don't know what's going on, but Luke 11 gives us a promise that God is not going to allow prayers that we pour out to him from our hearts just to fall on the ground unanswered. Right. He's going to answer them, but it may or may not be for exactly what we ask or exactly what we have in mind. Well, and so much of that requires eyes to see, a faith, a walk. And in the book, you do talk about how prayer is uh, sort of a spiritual barometer, mm. right? You can kind of gauge where you are with God based on your prayer life. And I find that really helpful. And I don't know if people necessarily see it that way. Yeah, in a sense, prayer is the language of faith. Right. It's the overflow. There's there's a beautiful line that Jesus, the Lord tells to Ananias 
when Saul uh, is on his way to kill Christians in Damascus and he's knocked to the ground on the road to Damascus. He's rendered blind. He cries out, who is this? Who are you? And and the Lord speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Saul goes to this house on Straight Street and the Lord appears to Ananias and says, Ananias, go lay your hands on this persecutor of the church so that he might see again. And you can imagine the fear and trepidation sure, right, right? Yeah. that would have been in Ananias. Well, Surely not, Lord. <laughs> Do you know who Saul is, Lord? <laughs> you know, and, and you're telling me to go and to expose myself as a Christian? This guy's going to put me to death. Yeah. You know, he's going to take my whole family too. And uh, and so the Lord gives Ananias graciously this confirmation, this affirmation that Saul is no longer the same Saul. He's been changed. And there's that great line in Acts 9 where he says, behold, he is praying. And the idea seems to be for Ananias, the confirmation, the proof that Saul is not the same Saul who's been murdering Christians Mm. is the fact that now he's praying. Mm. And there's been a change in Saul's life. And that change is manifesting itself. It's just, it's oozing out, if you will. It's Mm. flowing out in prayer. And I think that's the reality for us. And so if we're not seeing a prayer in our lives, if our lives are characterized first by prayerlessness, then I think it ought to be a warning sign about the condition of our hearts. And it ought to call us back to the Lord or to work on our hearts, right? To engross ourselves more in, in the scriptures or to be with friends who can hold us accountable and speak into our lives, to do something get the closeness of our relationship with the Lord back. Mm. And when we do, when we're walking closely with the Lord again, those prayers should just, again, flow from us, from a right relationship, a, a strong relationship with the Lord. The stronger that relationship, the more prayer should flow out of us. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture and a really helpful reminder The book is Persistent Prayer. It's part of the Blessings of the Faith series, uh, forward by Kevin DeYoung. Dr. Guy Richard, this has been a great joy and a privilege, and I hope it's a a blessing to many as they consider their own prayer life, prayer life in their church, all these sorts of things. I hope it will help serve them well. We'll have a link to purchase the book in the show notes. Dr. Guy Richard, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. And we will send you a free copy of my dad's latest book, Hope for This Present Crisis. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.